0: I'm guys welcome back to revive school here we are we're wrapping up this week uh, throughout the book of job no we're not quite done with the book of job but we're getting really really close and you know yesterday i love this it was the it's the end of elihu's sermon speech (laughs) hammering of of job because remember 32 through 37 elihu is basically saying hey job you're not god Quit acting like it. Oh, no, by the way, here's characteristics of God. And can you do this? Can you do this? And what I like about this is, is there's a guy named Benjamin Jowett. Okay. now hang in here for a second. They asked him this question, Benjamin, because he's a really smart dude. We want to know what your opinion of God is. And he went through a bunch of sentences and just comments. And at the very end of his quote, he says this. That's really not the correct uh, question to ask. What's my opinion of God? I really should ask what is God's opinion of me? And that's really what happens in Job 38. You switch (laughs) from Job's opinion of God. You actually switch from even Elihu's opinion. And now you get the source himself. God is now going to give Job his opinion. And it ain't pretty. In fact, Job, uh, I would say, gets interrogated by God. Job gets picked apart. He gets hammered. And God is okay with it. In fact... God finally, John MacArthur says, God finally gets to have his day in court with Job. You know, there's a psychologist, uh, Dr. Paul Tournier. He said, what you're going to find in, in Job 38 is God's answer is it's not an idea. It's not a proposition. Like the conclusion of a theorem, it is actually God himself. He revealed himself to Job and then jo- Job actually had to have a personal contact, cur- personal encounter with God. And so now you're going to hear the first speech. The first speech that God delivers before Job. And it says this in verse 1 Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Now, right away, when you, when you think of God answering Job from the whirlwind, are there any examples in the Old Testament, you guys, that, that you think of? I think about Moses when he's on the side of the mountain waiting for God. Ooh, well, Kevin, let's go there. Exodus 19:16 through 19. But you already knew that, so it's fine. Exodus 19:16 through 19. On the third day when morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain. This might be a little bit different, Kevin, but I'm trying to run with you here. And a loud trumpet sound so that all the people in the camp shuddered. Verse 17, then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Uh, verse 18, Mount Sinai was completely enveloped, enveloped uh, in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. And at the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. I mean, just amidst the thunder, amidst the whirlwind, you see this. In fact, if you'll go to, can you go to First Kings nineteen eight? Uh, how about Elijah? This is a cool picture too. Um, in First Kings nineteen eight through 11, so he got up, ate and drank. Then on the strength from that day, from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. And then it says, he entered a cave there, he spent the night. Then the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, tore down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone and left and they are looking for me to take my life. Verse 11, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. This is really cool. At that moment, the Lord passed by. <laughs> a great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind was there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. You can keep going, Kevin. After the earthquake there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. What an awesome picture. In verse 13, it just talks about when he heard it, he wrapped his face in the mantle, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And, you know, here you have these images of Moses having an encounter, Elijah having an encounter, and Job. All had an encounter, whether it was in a soft whisper, whether it was in uh, a thunder, or whether it was in the whirlwind. And you don't have to go there, but even Ezekiel, you guys, he saw the glory of God in a storm and he heard the voice of God speaking to him in Ezekiel 1 and 2. So this is... uh, I want to say a not a normal trait of God, but God definitely can speak in this context. And here's what's crazy about the backdrop. You've got to understand the backdrop as Warren Weersby explains this really well. God addresses Job, okay, and everything is centered on his works and nature. And here's the cool part. His conversation consisted based on 77 questions, And then what he does is you throw in in between, he sprinkles in between divine commentary relating to the questions. (laughs) And what's the purpose of all these questions? What's the purpose of God hammering Job over and over, question after question? The purpose, and Wearsby says it well, to make Job realize his own inadequacy and inability to meet God, here it is, as an equal and defend his case. Seventy-seven questions. I get it, God. Every time you think the question, he just gets lower and lower and lower. And remember this though, Job thirteen twenty-two. Rich, you said this earlier. Job asked for this. Job 13, verse 22 says this. Then call and I'll answer or I will speak and you can respond to me. This is Job's language. Go ahead. Hey, you, you can respond to what I'm saying. And God says, and here I go. I don't know about playing these kind of games with the Lord. Now, here's what I want to do. God's response is absolutely ridiculous, okay? And Job 38 through Job, I mean, really all the way through Job 40 and and 41, really. And what you see is God talks, Job responds. God talks, Job responds. And so I just kind of want to outline this because uh, we're going to cover Job 38, but I I want to show you a bigger picture here. So God's response is this. Can you, he's talking, now remember, God is talking to Job. Can you explain my creation? That's what we're going to talk about today. Okay, in Job thirty-eight, one through thirty-eight. But God's response continues, and He says, and I love this one. When you get into Job thirty-eight, end of thirty-eight, and into thirty-nine, can you oversee my creation? And then what you're going to see, absolutely, you're going to see Job's first response here then, okay? Just to give you a, a flow of the conversation. You're going to see that in Job 41 through 5. And his response is not long. Trust me, it should have been shorter. <laughs> okay, so then what you're going to see is God then, again, here he has, so here you have his first speech, right? And then you're going to get into his second speech. And then this is the classic one. And this is where we'll get to uh, by the end of the uh, of the week. Can you subdue my creation? Job then gives his second response. So this is kind of the flow of God coming to the table. okay? and he is going to respond. And then he says this. Can you explain my creation? Can you oversee my creation? Can you subdue my creation? Why the language of creation? Like, why is this the theme when he's talking to Job? It's all they have. That's all they, their eyes can see. I mean, you look at where it's at in history. The law hasn't been given. The promise probably hasn't been given to Abraham. You know, where it's at in history, the main thing that they can see with their eyes and touch and feel. I totally agree. Rich, you want anything to that? Why is the creation his whole theme? Like, if, this is how he's going to respond. I just think it's the starting point. Like, God's starting over. Like, I'm going to give you a history of all that I've done uh, in quote compared to what you've done in your, quote-unquote, great lifespan. Mm-hmm. That's good. All right, well, let's jump in, you guys. Uh, I think this is really interesting here. Now, I I do want to just say this. I don't want to miss this point. In verse 1, if you'll go back, Kevin, to Job 38, verse 1, it says, The Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. I'm not saying that Job honestly went there. But if you go to Job 1, verse 19, again, I'm not saying that this is what he first thought of. I I just think this is an interesting perspective. His kids were killed in the wind. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the, de- the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Again, uh, it's not that Job is going to automatically, but when you're in a whirlwind and you're experiencing the God's, God's presence, you kind of have to wonder if, hey, is this how my kids died? It's just a thought. Again, and so God is, I feel like, not only uh, talking, but He's showing His presence. He's, he's letting Job feel His presence. You go to Job 9, verse 16, 17, and 18 for me, too. Again, this is going to take a little bit longer to do the backdrop, but now in Job 9, just so you guys have an understanding, because it's kind of like, hey, who's talking who and when did they talk? And so in Job 8, Bildad speaks, okay? Job's response is to Bildad in Job 9, okay? So in Job 9, 16, 17, 18, watch this. He says, if I summoned him and he answered me, I did not believe he would pay attention to what I said in verse 17, he then says this, He batters me with a whirlwind and multiplies my wounds without cause. Verse 18, He doesn't let me catch my breath, but He soaks me with bitter experiences. So Job knows, if you go back to verse 17, he understands like God can be in the whirlwind. His kids were killed with the wind. He even talks about how God has beat him and battered him with the whirlwind. So like, it's an interesting, uh, I don't know, it's just an interesting perspective here to me. And then if you go to Job 23, verse 3, Kevin, Job 23, verse three, he says, if only I knew how to find him so that I could go to his throne. I want to go to one more and then I'll comment on this. Go to Job thirty-one, thirty-five, please. If I could only find him so I could go talk to him. Job thirty-one, thirty-five, it says this, if only I had somebody to hear my case. Here's my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my opponent compose his indictment. So what he's talking about, he's, he's building this case of, all right, where's God? I need to talk to him. I need God to talk to me in this process. And now it's happening. And I know like that's kind of obvious because we're saying God's answering him. But you've got to remember, we've been doing this every single day for a long time. (laughs) And all Job's ever wanted was God to answer him. This is the moment that Rich has been waiting for and Job's been waiting for. All of us have been waiting for this answer. The problem is Job stirred the pot a, a little too much. In verse two, it says, who is this? This is God speaking. Who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? (laughs) The Living Bible's translation says, why are you using your ignorance to deny my providence? In other words, hey, you idiot. (laughs) Who do you think you are? I mean, Job had to be speechless. uh, But yet he thought like that this is what he wanted. And now what he's getting what he wanted, he's like, I'm not sure I want this. You know, I love when my kids ask me for treats. And sometimes you're like, you know what? Here, just have the whole bag. And then within the 18th, you know, uh, you know, candy bar, they're like, Dad, I can't have any more. <laughs> just relax. I don't do that. But my point is, is sometimes you, when you ask for something and you get it, it's not really what you want. Job wanted a conversation with God. And look in verse three, maybe the best movie line of all time. God says to Job, get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. <laughs> uh, you don't have an option. You will talk to me when I ask you questions. And so here's what we're going to do. God begins to reveal himself um, in many different situations. Okay? In verses four through seven, what he does is he begins to define and identify okay, the creation of the Earth, okay, so here we go again with the creation, but he says this: remember the seventy seven questions: Where were you when I established the Earth? Tell me if you have understanding who fixed its dimensions? Certainly, you know who stretched a measuring line across it? What supports its foundations, or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of joy, sons of God shouted for joy, in other words. Like God is comparing himself, as weird as says, to a builder, surveying the sites and marking dimensions and pouring out the footers and laying down the cornerstone and then erecting the structure. Where, oh, where were you, Job? And I love this picture of the morning stars. Yes, the stars were actually singing and the angels were actually shouting for joy. And Job wasn't there for any of this. Where, where were you, Job? In verses 8 through 11, God continues to define and really who He is by just asking questions. And then what He just says is He brings to the table the consideration, okay, of the seas, the oceans. And so in verses 8 through 11, again, here's what He says. Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb? When I made the cloud its garments and the thick darkness its blanket. When I determined its boundaries and put its bar and doors in place. And when I declared... You may come this far, but no farther. You, your proud waves stop here. <laughs> what an awesome picture. It was like the seas the scriptures described were, were knit together. And they're ready to burst forth like a baby in a womb. Hey, Job, where were you? In verses 12 through 15, all, all God needs to say is, as he talks about the sun. Have you ever in your life commanded the the morning or assigned the dawn its place, Job? (laughs) So it may seize the edges of the earth and it shake the wicked out of it. The earth is changed as clay is by a seal. Its hills stand out like the folds of a garment. In verse 15, light is withheld from the wicked and the arm raised in violence is broken. I mean, literally light is spread across the world and it reveals the the, the depths and the details of, of the landscape And yet, Job, where were you? Job requested a a meeting with God, a day at court, and God is totally giving it to him. What you're going to see here in verses 16 through 24, and and the one part that's a little bit hard about this chapter, it really is an ongoing question. That's really all it is. It's God showing who He is. You're going to see vast dimensions of creation. So you're going to have a, a kind of a an eclectic group of listings here in verses 16 through 24. And he says, have you, have you traveled to the sources of the sea or walked in the depths of the ocean? Uh, Warren Weir'sby said this, the, the greatest depth measured of all time, like how far have we ever gone before? Was found, we went so far in the Pacific Ocean and it went for 35,810 feet in other words, the, the farthest depth that we've ever gone is 6.78 miles. It's pretty deep. That's the only only that we've gone. Yep. We, there's other places that are deeper? We've never de- gone any deeper than that. Now, on the flip side, the reaches of space, Voyager 2 spent 12 years and they went 4.4 billion miles. I don't know how this works. Just FYI. Um, and in 1989, passed within 3,000 miles of. Ready for this? Neptune's cloud bank. So not even hardly outside of our solar system. Mm-mm. And God has a whole lot of a of a bigger picture. And hey, 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 Job, have you ever have you ever gotten on your camel and gone that far? <laughs> <laughs> In verse 18, he says, Have you comprehended the extent of the earth? T- tell me if you know all of this. Have you, ever, have you ever had to punish your child before and they know they're really in the wrong and it's at that point where they just kind of, not because you're yelling, not because you're mean, but just they're guilty. And they just kind of, you have to wonder how low Job has already gotten. Like if you're hearing God with a megaphone and he's starting to hammer you with this stuff, oh my goodness. In verse 19, it continues on. Where's the road to the home of light? Do you know where darkness lives, Job? So you can lead it back to its border. Are you familiar with the paths to its home? And don't you know? If anybody ever says God's not sarcastic, you've never read the book of Job. Hey, hey, you you were already born. You have lived so long. Surely you know. This is so encouraging that God was sarcastic. Have you ever entered? Have you entered the place where the snow is stored? That would be awesome. It's a big house. it <laughs> be like walking in clouds. Have you ever seen the storehouses of hail? Hey, Joe, you ever been there before? It's bigger than any Amazon place. <laughs> Amazon Prime blows it out of the water. Snow is stored there all the time. Boy, it'd be cold to work in there. Which I hold in reserve for times of trouble. This is really interesting. For the day of warfare and battle. God says, I'm going to release it. Did you know about that, Job? Verse 24, what what road leads to the place where light? Can I just tell you, science can't describe this. You know that? They can't. But the scriptures can. And the scriptures can actually support what science says. They don't have to contradict. But the problem is, is that many times we don't have the ultimate source of why we believe what we believe. Unless you go to God as the ultimate source. And for some reason, Job thought he was becoming the source. He thought he was becoming more righteous than anybody else. He was more justified than anybody else. He was justified. And God says, I don't think so. So now you have the creation of the earth, the consideration of the seas, the sun, the dimensions of creation. And then in verses 25 through 28, God just talks about the rain. He says, who cuts a channel for the flooding rain or clears the way for lightning? To bring rain on an uninhabited land, on a desert with no human life. Oh yeah, who who drops the rain on that place, Job? To satisfy the parched wasteland and cause the grass to sprout. Does the rain have a father? Who fathered the drops of dew? And then he says in verse 29, he gets into verses 29 and 30. He then gets into what we would just consider hail and frost. Whose womb did the ice come from? Who gave birth to the frost of heaven? When water becomes as hard as stone and the surface of the watery depths is frozen. Man, at this point, I would be like, God, I get it. I'm done. God's like, I'm not done yet. Scripture continues on and God begins to talk about in verses 31 through 33. He begins to talk about the heavens. Can you fasten the chains of the Pleiades or loosen the belt of Orion can you bring out the constellations in their seasons and lead the bear and her cubs? Like, do you know what you're doing with all the stars? Do you have any idea with the satellite? Do you have any idea with what I'm even talking about? Verse 33, do you know the laws of heaven? Can you impose its authority on earth? I like what Nelson's commentary said about the section. He called it the heavenly government of world is under God's control. The heavenly government of world is under God's control. Do you happen to know the laws of heaven? In other words, if you would know so much, I like this. This is what Wearsby says. Why don't you use your own authority to change your situation? Like, if you think you can understand what I'm talking about, then you change your situation. Why do you have to come to me? And then in verses 34 through 38, Clouds. What an interesting section of Scripture. Can you command the clouds so that a flood of water covers you? Can you send out lightning bolts and they go? Do they report to you? Here we are. I love that. Uh, Lightning bolts reporting to duty, sir. You strike that place. You know, you strike that tree, make that person mad. No, I mean, ah, reporting to duty, sir. Who put wisdom in the heart or gave the mind understanding? Who has the wisdom to number the clouds or who can tilt? This, isn't this a cool picture? Who can tilt the water jars of heaven? Who can make the clouds leak out rain? When the dust hardens like cast metal and the clods of dirt stick together. Who does all of this, by the way? And then finally, you're going to see in 39, 40, and 41... He says, can you hunt? And what's interesting, let me just say this about 39, 40, and 41. It really actually transitions, um, which is why I don't have a category here. Really what happens is it begins a transition in Job 38, 39 through 39, 30. You're going to actually see a description of six beasts, six animals, and five birds. Okay, that's kind of where he runs. And so that category kind of stops in verse 30, um, in verse 38. So here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to describe this whole section. Rich, I know this is your one of your favorite chapters. What What do you want to jump in with? Is there anything that just stands out when you see this list? Why the importance of going through all this? Any thoughts? For me, when I read this verse, it just, I mean, you know... You can think that you're a pretty smart guy and you can figure out a lot of things, but in re- context of this, you don't know anything. You literally have, you have nothing to bring to the Lord except you just. I just you're just on your knees. You say, "I, Uncle, I give up, Lord." Yep. You know that's a it's an awesome point. It's like you think you know a lot because you read five books, <laughs> right? Or right, hey, don't you know I went to the school of hard knocks for five years, or. Have you not seen the experiences that I've gone through? But like, this is what we do, isn't it? And then we take those little titles, and we take those little experiences, and we take that education, and then all of a sudden, you take the money that we're making, and all of a sudden, hey, we've become something. And God's like, Phew. I'm sorry. How far have you gone before? I'm sorry. Did you climb? How? Did, oh, you climbed a tree. I made the tree. Lightning bolts ready for duty. Go. <laughs> I just, I think it's an unbelievable, awesome perspective of who God is and who we are not. And I have to tell you guys, when Elihu spoke into Job, he said, look, you want to see God answer your prayers? Get rid of your pride, man. Job 38, you know what it is? It's addressing Job's pride. He's calling him out. And so Nelson's commentary comes up with, and this is how I want to close today, that they come up with four things that mark this speech, Job 38. Like things that stand out, things that we've been waiting for. And and number one, this is going to sound, all these are going to sound super obvious, okay? But number one, what I like about it is it was recorded as an unmediated speech. You know what I mean by that? When I say unmediated, it means Elihu is not speaking on behalf of God. The friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, aren't speaking on behalf of God. It's God himself. There's there's no in-between. God is speaking directly to Job. Job wanted it. You're going to get it. So one of the marks of Job 38 is, hey, it's God and Job. Game on. Second thing is, and I, I really like this one. This is the first time since Job 1 and 2 that you see the covenant name, the Lord, Yahweh, for the first time. So it went from Job 1 and 2, you see the Lord, you see Yahweh, nothing. And now all of a sudden, Lord Yahweh is back in. It's kind of a, a mark that would present itself in Job 38. And I know we said this, but it, it's a point that I think is worthy of saying it one more time. God speaks directly and personally to one man. Yes, he's not the, he's not the mediator. That's what we we're identifying. But now I just want to clearly say it's because he's directly speaking to Job. And number four, I wonder what this looks like. I don't want to miss this. If you go back, Kevin, to Job 38, verse 1. Job 38, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. All of this took place from the whirlwind. I have to wonder, like in my mind, I, I picture a movie and I picture a guy going through like a sandstorm, you know, kind of. Or I picture a guy walking and it's just like crazy, just, it's just blowing and blowing. And amidst all of this, it's just like, kind of like God's just teasing Job of like, oh yeah, I did all this. And he's feeling his presence that whole time. There's something about Job, not only hearing his voice, but he actually experiences his voice. And, That's what God wanted to do. He wanted to reveal himself powerfully in Job 38. Here's what's kind of crazy is is, uh, Job, um, Job asked for this. And in fact, I want to close just like this. Uh, Warren Wearsby said, God didn't question Job's integrity. He only questioned Job's ability to explain the ways of God in the world. I mean, let's face this. Job's speeches truly lacked humility. Job thought he knew about God, but what he didn't realize was how much he didn't know about God. Let's just be careful. We can know God here, but not necessarily know him. And that's what I love about Job 38. All right, guys, have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.